0: Hello again and welcome to our our second study in the life of David. The story of Goliath and David must be up there amongst the top ten most well-known stories in the Old Testament. My problem is, how do I present the story of David and Goliath for grown-ups? Only a boy called David, only a babbling brook. Only a boy called David, five little stones he took. And one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round. One little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round. Round and round and round and round and round and round and round. And round. One little stone went up, 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 and the giant came tumbling down. Wait. Now, why have I humiliated myself by singing that to you? And imposing it upon you because we associate this story with children most of us heard it possibly in school in Sunday school at home wherever but we always think of this story of David and Goliath Goliath and David as being a children's story the challenge for me is to present this story for grown-ups and the way I'm going to do it is this I'm going to approach it as if we were battlefield historians, and we're going to try to analyse what happened on this occasion from that perspective. So, first question, as historians, we want to know when was the battle? Well, we British people are very familiar with the date of 1066, when William came and conquered the Battle of Hastings. Think back 1066 before Christ, and you won't be far out. Certainly we know that David was king by the year 1000 BC. So <clears throat> that's when the battle took place, approximately 1000 BC. Where then was this battle? Let's read chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, the first three verses. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azikar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So we have a, a valley here, the valley of Elah, between Soko, which is about 15 miles west of Bethlehem, and Azikar, which is much further to the west, nearer to the Mediterranean Sea, with the valley between these two places. The Israelites are on the north side of the valley and the Philistines are on the south. The Philistines occupied one hill, it says, and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Who then were the two armies that were engaging in battle in this valley? Well, on the southern hills, we have the Philistines. Now, the Philistines had come from Crete. They had migrated from the island of Crete years before and had settled along the west coast of what we would call the Holy Land and had built five towns, five cities between Egypt and Gaza. And you may remember that Saul and Jonathan had had some success in fighting against the Philistines. On the northern hills were the Israelites. Now the Israelites were a collection of 12 tribes. Roughly led by one king, roughly united under him, they believed in only one God in the Hebrew language Yahweh. And they had been chosen by this one God as his covenant people for a special purpose. And we know that special purpose was to bring the Messiah into the world. Now some of these Israelites are named. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three sons had followed Saul to the war. The first was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. We would love to know how old David was at this time. Let's do a little bit of detective work. We know then that Jesse's three eldest boys were in this army. Of those three, the youngest was Shammar. Now, under the law of Moses, you couldn't fight in the army until you were 20 years old. So let's assume that Shammar was 20 he was the third son. Mrs. Jesse had five more boys before she had David. Let's just suppose she had one every year. That would mean David was 15 if she had had one every year. If she had had one, taken more than five years to have her eighth son, David, then David would have been younger than 15 if Shammah was 20. By the same token, if Shammah had been more, older than 20, David could have been older than 15. But it gives us a, a target idea of how um, old David might have been at this battle. Now, as battlefield historians, we want to know about the officers. Let's look firstly at the Philistines. No officers are mentioned. There's no overall king. There's no overall commander of the Philistines. But they do have this gigantic fellow, Goliath, their champion who's nine feet tall. Israel, they are commanded by King Saul. He is in this chapter, but he doesn't feature very prominently. He's certainly not putting himself forward as the champion of the Israelites. He has a commander-in-chief, Abner, who is his nephew. Okay? So once we know who the officers are and who the men were, What about their weaponry? What weapons armed these people? We know from an earlier chapter that Philistines were in the Iron Age and therefore they had iron and bronze weapons, whereas the Israelites only had bronze weapons. The Philistines, they had both forms of metal in their weaponry. Let's read verses 4 to 7. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him." So at least this soldier, this colossus, had a bronze helmet and he had a coat of scale armour of bronze. They took pieces of bronze about the size of a small saucer and sewed them onto a piece of cloth or onto a jerkin which, the, which Goliath would then wear. So he had this scale armour all over his, his chest. It weighed nine stone or 57 kilograms. He had bronze shin pads or greaves. He had a bronze javelin. And he had a spear with an iron point. Just the iron point weighed 15 pounds or 7 kilos. It says this spear was the size of a weaver's rod or a weaver's beam. And I think this means that his, he was the only person in the army whose, whose fist was big enough to get around this spear that he could then throw. So Goliath is armed to the teeth and he has a shield bearer. What about David? He's armed with a sling. Now you may think that's not much of a a weapon. You could be very accurate with a sling. In the book of Judges it says there were were 700 left-handed soldiers, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So the accuracy of these slingers in those days was extremely high. And believe it or not, I found by Googling, there are sling clubs that you can join today in the United Kingdom. People who actually um, generate these skills and keep these skills going. And, And a skilled slinger today can sling a stone at 100 miles an hour, faster than any cricket ball has yet been bowled in first-class cricket, as far as I know. The stones themselves could be any size up to that of a cricket ball. But why did David select five? Now, some people, when they're looking at their Bibles and they see a number, they always think, ah, symbolism, that must be symbolic of something. So I googled this, and some people say, ah, the five things are faith, trust, courage, obedience, and praise. Okay? But aren't faith and trust the same thing? And why not love? Or why not patience? Or why not hope? Why choose those five? And somebody else said, no, these five stones represent the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the Holy Spirit and prayer. Okay, but what about obedience to God? Or or what about resurrection? I suggest to you that there's no symbolism in this at all. He chose five stones because he knew that he might miss. Oliver Cromwell trained his regiment of lionsides, which evolved into the Coldstream Guards today, and he taught them this. He said, trust God and keep your powder dry. In other words, your Christian men look to God for his grace and help in battle, but also, if you're crossing a river, make sure your powder doesn't get wet. In other words, there's a place for God's work and there's a place for man's cooperation as well. David's main weapon wasn't so much the sling, it was his faith in God. Look at verses 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. David was bringing to this battle his faith in God. He had experience fighting wild animals. He could deal with this colossus of a giant David trusted that five would be enough when the army saw this colossus champion threatening the Israelites they were terrified but when David heard it he saw a theological challenge notice what he said this uncircumcised Philistine in other words that man is opposed to God. That man is a, not a member of the covenant people. That man is not saved in the sense of belonging to Israel. He hates Yahweh. I can trust God to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Okay, back as battlefield historians, let's look at the two champions. Firstly, the Philistine one, Goliath. Let me read From verse 8 Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel why do you come out and line up for battle am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul choose a man and let him come down to me if he is able to fight and kill me we will become your subjects but if I overcome him and kill him you will become our subjects and serve us then the Philistine said this day I defy the armies of Israel Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. He's nine foot tall. He's from Gath. Remember Gath? Earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the Philistines in battle and they'd taken it down to their five cities, one of which was Gath. And they put it into the temple of Dagon, their god. And in the morning, they went into the temple and Dagon had fallen on his face before the Ark of the Lord and his head had been broken off. You see, Yahweh had humiliated Dagon. Goliath sees this as a golden opportunity to get revenge. He has a score to settle against the Lord. The Lord had ridiculed his god. Now he's going to ridicule the Lord. He proposes trial by battle. Israel's champion should have been Saul. He was the king. He was tall. He had all the kits. and Saul had had success against Philistines in the past. But in verse 11 it says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul was dismayed and terrified. The best Saul could do is in verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Saul should have been the one to be the champion of Israel but he chickened out of it. He offered David his kit but David refused them. Saul didn't seem to recognise David. Remember when David was a musical therapist and an an occasional armour bearer he was only sent for when he was needed. Most of the time he was back in Bethlehem looking after his father's sheep. Then he'd be sent for, spend a spell in Saul's court helping the king, and then return to his work. Saul didn't seem to recognise him at all. His job as a therapist was occasional. Now for 40 days, we read in verse 16, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Forty days, Goliath had been challenging the people and the Lord. Now the, the number 40 does have symbolic value in the Bible. It signifies the completion of something, usually a trial or a difficulty. Remember 40 days, for 40 days, Noah's flood kept rising. For 40 days, Moses was on Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. For 40 years, the Israelites were in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 days Jesus fasted in the wilderness the time of goliath's gloating is about to become to come to an end there would be a reward for whoever defeated goliath verse 25 now the israelites have been saying Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now we don't know whether this was just the word that got around the Israelite camp, that somebody who killed Goliath would be rewarded with money, with a wedding to the king's daughter and to exemption from taxation or whether it is actually what Saul had promised. We don't know. But David didn't go into this fight in order to win that reward anyway so the battle takes place verse 41 meanwhile the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome and he despised him so maybe our guess is 14 years of age or a little younger may be about right He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. By David's gods? My goodness me. He thought his gods were going to humiliate David's gods. No chance. He really had bitten off more than he could chew there. That was a big mistake. Threatening to give his flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. In Hebrew thinking, that meant a fate Worse than death. But David saw this as a theological battle. Verse 45 David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of Yahweh Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David sees this as a theological battle. This is a battle between the Lord and Dagon, not just between David and Goliath. There are six references to God in that short speech of David. And verse 50 is comprehensive. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David then ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Here we have the aftermath of the battle. The Philistine champion is dead. Now, he'd promised, hadn't he? He'd got Goliath and said, I'll be the champion. If we win, we conquer you. If you win, then we'll submit to you. But they didn't, of course. Their word wasn't to be trusted. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. For the Philistines, their champion is dead. They break their word. They run for their lives. They flee back to their towns and to their cities. Militarily, the Philistines were down but not out. One battle does not win a war the Philistines are bruised but they're not broken for the Israelites they're triumphant they pursue the Philistines back to their five towns and then they return to the site of the battle and they plunder the the uh, the 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 camp of the Philistines all the treasures they left behind and then very oddly David took David David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem at verse 54 David took the Philistines head and brought it to Jerusalem he put the Philistines weapons in his own tent now Jerusalem at this time is not Israelite it's not Philistine either it's in the hands of the Canaanites a group called Jebusites so we're not quite sure what to make of this, it might mean that David took the head of Goliath, walked all the way to Jerusalem outside its walls and then waved it and jeered at them and gloated over them said, this is what's going to happen to you one day. You better watch your step. Or maybe it means the head was put into storage and then later when David was king and they conquered Jerusalem, he took the head into Jerusalem and gloated over it then. We, We can't really be quite be sure. But just as the Battle wasn't a defeat forever for the Philistines. It wasn't a total victory for Israel either. One battle doesn't win the war. They'd won one skirmish. One giant is dead. The Philistine morale is ruined. But the Israelites haven't yet defeated them comprehensively. At the end of the chapter, Saul reacquainted himself with David. Verse 55. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, He said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Saul had forgotten so much but let us not forget what Hannah had said in chapter 2 in her psalm God will guard the feet of his saints but the wicked will be silenced in darkness it is not by strength that one prevails those who oppose the Lord will be shattered now what's the overarching point of this chapter It's a central chapter to us, one of the most famous ones in the Old Testament. It's never even mentioned in the New. It even comes halfway between Abraham and Christ. Abraham roughly 2000 BC, David 1000 BC, Jesus at the year 0 BC, if you follow my drift. Right in the middle, here is this chapter, and it's never mentioned in the Old Testament. But it teaches us a lot. God's people can do nothing to save themselves. Their God is being insulted and despised. They have an enemy whom they can't overcome. They need a saviour and they get a saviour in the person of David. And Jesus, of course, is commonly known as the son of David. This chapter is about Jesus. This chapter is about the son of David. This chapter is about the victory of Christ. Our saviour Jesus defeats Satan, defeats sin, defeats hell one cross one stone for david one cross for jesus one resurrection one empty tomb for jesus listen to colossians chapter 2 god made you alive with christ he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us he has taken it away nailing it to the cross And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Just as Goliath was made a public spectacle in, in the eyes of the Israelites, Christ has made a spectacle of the evil one by his cross. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gave them the victory through David. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter is about Christ. It even alludes to our armour. In the letter to the Ephesians, we're told that our spiritual armour is truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. David couldn't put on worldly armour. We don't put on worldly armour. We put on the armour of the Spirit, the armour of Christ. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. That, my friends, is the best i can do in presenting the story of goliath and david for grown-ups our champion is christ and our weaponry is spiritual so stand up stand up for jesus stand in his strength alone the arm of flesh will fail you dare not trust your own put on the gospel armor each piece put on with prayer where duty calls or danger be never wanting there At the name of Jesus, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Hallelujah to Jesus Christ for his victory over sin, death and hell by one cross and one act of resurrection. Amen.